So chapter 13, Antichrist the Man, part one. Antichrist the Man. Uh, If you're here in Revelation 13, you can go ahead and get your Bibles open there if you haven't already. But uh, number one on your outline there, it says, Antichrist is a beast of many attributes. Antichrist is a beast of many attributes. Now, you remember when we first started, I said that Revelation is a very picturesque book. It's uh, full of symbols and that when we look at these symbols, we've seen them before somewhere else in the scripture. And sometimes they're a little bit modified, but we do see them. Antichrist uh, is seen here as a beast, as a monster. And when John saw this, when John got this revelation, John was really looking, uh, he was seeing a beast. He saw this thing. He saw a big monster come up out of the sea. And uh, so it's our job to figure out what that means in each of the, uh, the parts of the, of the symbolism. But Antichrist is a beast of many attributes. Now, here in letter A, we find the scripture says the beast arises. The beast is said to arise. And in fact, um, we're here. I want you to just take a moment to read the first few chapters of Revelation 13. It says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head, upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of the heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. All right. We're going to stop our reading there this morning. So first of all, let me start by saying that I personally believe that Satan has always had somebody off in the wings, somebody throughout world history. In some cases, just he's, he's, he brings them more maybe to the forefront than in others. But, uh, we think of, of, of Adolf Hitler, for example, and we think of the great dictators of the world, uh, Stalin, you know, Lenin, we think of, uh, you know, maybe not, not the greatest of the dictators, but we think of certainly Pol Pot, um, these, these, these different people that uh, seem to be many antichrists. And John, in his writings, refers to, he says, there's going to be uh, antichrist doctrines, and there's going to be many little antichrists, but there's going to be one in particular who's coming. And so history, as that unfolds, tends to be I believe Satan's trial and error kitchen. You know, he's not omnipotent, but he does gain experience and insight as the centuries fold up into millennia. 
And so what happens here, we see that one day we're going to have this supreme antichrist come upon the scene. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of those specifics later next week. But right now, we just want to focus on the beast. In letter A, it says, the beast, uh, the scripture says, the beast arises. The beast arises. Now, in contrast, Christ is said to have descended from heaven. So Christ comes down. We see the beast coming up. There already is a, is a point of contrast between Satan's counterfeit Christ and the Lord's true Christ. Christ is said to have descended from heaven. Antichrist is said to ascend from the sea. There in Revelation 13.1, we read from the sea and from the pit. If we remember back from 11, uh, Revelation 11.7, from the pit. So the sea underscores the fact that he is human. Several times in Scripture, we see the seas to be symbolic of humanity. Uh, John standing upon the seashore, uh, overlooking basically all of humanity. And out of all of the human beings that are left on earth at the time after the rapture, very early on here, we're seeing one particular human rising up. And yet, it's a, he's, he's rising up out of the sea. The pit that we saw, the reference to that back in uh, Revelation eleven seven underscores the fact that he is satanically charged. He'll rise up out of obscurity. You know, one thing about the ocean is that it has a tendency to obscure everything that's in it. And think about today. We barely know who our neighbors are most times. Most times. That's not always true. But in large uh, suburban and metropolitan areas, we don't always know who our neighbors are these days. And with the advent of social media, I think it's kind of ironic in a way that we have greater connectivity than we've had at any point in time, we, in the loosest, broadest sense of the term possible, know more people than in different parts of the world than we may have ever known before. Um, and yet, the people who are right there living around us, we, we kind of, even they sort of fall into obscurity. And, and when, what we see on social media oftentimes is not really people's life. You know, because we tend to put the best things on social media, but we maybe sometimes don't put all the bad stuff on social media because uh, there's a tendency not to want to share with everybody how rotten your life is. And so but what happens is we look at all these other people on social media and we say, wow, the, that person's really doing great. Or look what happened to this person here. And, uh, and so we kind of start to wonder, well, why isn't my life that good? And I think social media, there's something fundamentally depressing about it. But um, at any rate, Antichrist is going to rise up out of the sea from obscurity to being everything. So it will seem. And number three, he's summoned by Satan. He is summoned by Satan. And we have that here in Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. We just read a minute ago. It says, And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So he was basically everything that he is, he owes to the dragon. And the dragon will summon him at a time when he can do so. And by the way, what's keeping Satan from summoning the beast today? I believe scripture shows us that it is the presence of the church on earth. 
There's something about the atmosphere created by, by the absence of the church on earth that is going to create a, a, an environment conducive to the rise of the beast. Probably because there's not going to be anybody around standing for the truth anymore. And what happens to in the church age when there's heavy persecution, there's also heavy church growth and blessing. And so um, there's more witnesses to the truth that arise on the scene. But I think that tribulation saints not being the church, uh, even if there was a few small churches left on earth, at, at, you know, at, before the rapture, Antichrist still couldn't come because there would still be a group of people that he would not be able to deceive because of an indwelling Holy Spirit that John says teaches us the truth and alerts us to error. Now, it's possible not to, min- not to, to listen to that, not to pay any attention to that still small voice. I understand that, but there's always going to be somebody. There's going to be somebody. And really and truly, after the church is gone, we see it's not long after that that there are 144,000 sealed, that there's going to be later on two supernatural witnesses come on the scene. And so God will have a witness in the earth. But for a short period of time after the rapture, it'd be the first time in recorded history where God has not left himself with a human remnant. There'll be Bibles and gospel tracts and Bible study books and materials and things like that left around inside the houses of believers that are no longer on the earth. But what's going to happen there? Well, there's, there's looting and there's things like that that are going to start to happen after probably a very short period of time. Yeah, because these people aren't home anymore. We've not seen them. So let's just go on in and, and take what they have. And the Holy Spirit's restraining influence on sin is not going to be present. So it probably won't take too long before that starts to happen. But these people are going to start to get a hold of Bibles and after curiosity might open them up and flip through it. That's possible. But the beast is summoned by Satan. Now, he will not likely be known at all until Satan can raise him up. He may or may not possess a natural genius. His natural abilities aren't the focus. We see that Satan is going to uh, supernaturally charge him with, with certain gifts and demonic abilities. But he may or may not be someone that you would expect necessarily to be him. Uh, Consider Adolf Hitler. Think about a few things here. He was a failure of a corporal in the German army in World War I. Corporal. You know, uh, that's really, that's pretty low on the pole. (laughs) You know, in in most uh, armed services, it would be like the first rank of uh, a non-commissioned officer. Okay, so he was, he was a corporal. You know, I remember watching the Three Stooges and uh, they were doing a little thing about the Civil War and they were supposed to be back during the Civil War and, and uh, uh, Curly's girlfriend, she says to him, I'll wait for you, but promise me one thing, Curly. Promise me you'll be a colonel. And he says, I'll be more than a colonel. I'll be a corporal. <laughs> <laughs> Corporal's down here and, and Hitler, didn't he, he couldn't even get that right. What happened to him? He was insane and had some annoying and even socially embarrassing health issues. So here's this, here's this little twerp of a guy. No, he wasn't. He wasn't that large. He wasn't that great. He surely wasn't one of your great thinkers. And yet, 
All this being true, Hitler was almost instantly propelled by the German authorities to a position of near political omnipotence. He was. He was. But did he have that ability naturally, or is it something that Satan gave him? Letter B. The scripture emphasizes his mouth. His mouth. Emphasizes his mouth. Sometimes we see that his eyes are, are, are emphasized. But, but here, we see that his mouth is the thing. First of all, it's proud. It is proud. Antichrist's mouth is proud. This pride will be very reassuring to his followers. They're going to mistake it for confidence, which he'll be supremely confident, and he'll be arrogant, overtly, obnoxiously arrogant, but something about the way he crafts his words is going to make people take that mistakenly for confidence, uh, for uh, just a strong leadership ability, a great vision. Um, you know, a lot of things is packaging. You can have a really bad idea, like socialism, packaged well and presented well, and it sounds great. So he has these powers. Uh, it speaks blasphemy. His mouth speaks blasphemy. It's not only proud things, but blasphemous things. This blasphemy will be the centerpiece of his career. He, he, he's going to make a career making himself out to be God. This blasphemy will be the centerpiece of his career. Let her be there. He will not be subtle. It will be overtly obvious. He'll claim to be God. But this mouth speaks great things. Antichrist will be a visionary. He'll be a visionary. His one world unification scheme will be very appealing to a world thrown into chaos by the rapture and the falling judgments of God. He said, we just need to band together, folks. We'll get through this. The beast is associated with his government. The beast in this picture is associated with his government. Now, the beast represents the humanistic pinnacle of human government. The humanistic pinnacle. I mean, you're not going to get any more humanistic than a man claiming to be God. With superpowers to back it up. Now, under, underneath that, again, we see the ten horns and the seven heads. Talking about kings and, 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 and a successive line of kings. Possibly Rome, the city of seven hills, which is called, yes, sir. Of the pinnacle. Hmm? Pinnacle of human government. This close association pairs the will of the beast with the will of the government. There's one beast, but he's, he's pictured as uh, these ten ho- uh, these having uh, seven heads and ten horns. We've read about that interpretation before in, in, in the book of Daniel, what that means. It refers to his government system. But this close association pairs the will of the beast with the will of the government. That means, let her see, he is an absolute dictator. He is an absolute dictator. He has all the most striking traits of the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, 
and Greek empires. As we see those listed for us in Daniel chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. You know, the body of a leopard, apparently he's, a, he's leopard-like. That, that talks about uh, great speed. Alexander the Great, remember, he was the, the, the Greek uh, empire, conquered the known world faster than anybody before and really and truly anybody since. Very fast. The feet of the bear, that Medo-Persian empire that just stomps and smacks and crushes and mauls and destroys. You know, we don't commonly, human beings, we tend to be either very strong or very fast. You know, you get the guys that are great and bulky and kind of lumbering and just hugely powerful. They're usually not that fast on their feet. But Antichrist has great, huge, lumbering forceful, smashing feet, but he's still got the speed of a leopard. He's got the mouth of a lion. Uh, Number two, his head is stamped with the name of blasphemy. His head is stamped with the name of blasphemy. He has named himself God, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. He has named himself as God. Egyptian pharaohs, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Roman emperors, and others had this characteristic. The emperor worship has has always kind of been a thing, although not sometimes formally instituted, um, but it's it's down through history. Number three, his government is the ultimate intrusion upon human rights and liberty. His government is the ultimate intrusion upon human rights and liberty. Next week, we're going to talk about the mark of the beast. Point number two, Antichrist is a man of great power. A man of great power. He is satanically charged. I mentioned that. He is satanically charged. We don't have time to check these out, but you go back and look on, on your own later. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 and Revelation 13.2. Matter of fact, uh, Revelation 13.2 is interesting because it says that it gives him his seat. That is to say his, his location, his, his throne. It gives him his power and, it give, and he gives him his authority. So there's two, there's two kinds of power that we see there. Often associated with Christ himself. There is exousia kind of power, which is administrative or executive right or authority. That way, authority. And then there's power. There's dunamis, which means power to actually do work. So we see Satan giving him both things here in that respect. Um, not that those two words are found, you know, but, but there's, there's, he has these authority. He has this authority. Now, number one here in the letter A, by worshiping Antichrist, the world will be worshiping Satan. By the way, that's all you're really doing when you have any other religion. It's just this is going to be a lot more direct. He has the ferocity of a lion, the speed of a leopard, and the strength of a bear. He will have the best and worst of all previous imperial leaders. He'll have the sharpest mind. He'll have the smoothest speech. You know, those are good things to have. Be a good communicator. Be smart. That's good. But he'll have the hottest temper. He'll have the most murderous intentions. And the source of all that is Satan, really. So you can say that it's all bad. Even the stuff which... Maybe even his attributes, which may be morally neutral in and of themselves, their source 
makes them bad. Folks, can I tell you, that's why you can't have any admixture of Christianity with anything else. You know, um, I, I've heard it said that uh, some, of the, some of the Buddhist adherents say, well, Buddhism will help you be a better Christian because Buddhism is focusing on these things that are kind of, you know, in agreement with Christianity. No, you really can't add any non-Christian thing to Christianity and have it be better Christianity. I practice Christian yoga. There's no such thing, folks. There's no such thing. What is the source of that? The source of that is uh, Hinduism, which basically is designed to open the body up to demonic influence. Well, I just like the stretching and breathing. So stretch and breathe. Leave yoga alone. All of Satan's experience, power, and intellect will be wound up inside Antichrist. It'll be as a brilliant military strategist. He will command the world's armies. He will give the ability, he will be given the ability to wage war with nations and with the saints of God. Whoever doesn't fall to him ideologically is going to fall to him militarily. The answer to the rhetorical question, who is able to make war with him, is, of course, no one. Well, there is one, and he's coming quickly. Let us see, he will appear to be resurrected from the dead. Now, there's a lot of different discussion about this. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Um, but uh, this is most likely a counterfeit miracle. Satan has always tried to mimic God's actions. Christ was resurrected. Antichrist must therefore appear to be resurrected. Now, I'll say this. I go out on a little bit of a limb here. God may even actually resurrect him just for the purpose of fulfilling his divine plan and to reiterate to Satan, albeit in some way not apparent to the rest of the world, that he's in charge. Kind of a smack in the face in the middle of it all. You want to pretend like you're me? Okay, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a hand here. Remember, though, you couldn't do that without me. And even while he's down here running around, throwing the world into absolute chaos, God is standing by allowing him to do it because it suits a purpose that he has. It, we see that in, in Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 24, going down through 25 and 26. He's, he's talking about why. For the, to finish the transgression, let sin run its course, to let... Basically, the nation of Israel complete her mistake of rejecting Messiah to prepare them for Messiah. There's a plan. This apparent miracle will seal the deal with the world at large. The reason I think it's, a liter it's, it's at least a well-constructed a, a well fake resurrection is because... Uh, Really, military conquering, things like that, uh, or maybe the, the resurrection of, you know, one of his heads that talks about a government, you know, those heads we typically think of as being a government or a, so to resurrect, you know, uh, a governmental system would not necessarily catch the attention of the whole world, but if an individual was declared dead and then came back to life, that sure would. It did before. <laughs> 